This is episode 10 of the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and I'm your host, Jess Robinson. And today we're catching up since due to the 4th of July holiday weekend, we're getting caught up. So this is going to be a pretty uh, extensive podcast uh, in the Old Testament because essentially we finished up 2 Samuel and went through all of 1 Kings, which is kind of a huge thing. So we'll get started. You know, as as I said, you know, chapters 23 and 24 is, is summing up uh, the end of 1 Samuel. Now, this isn't the last time that we'll really be talking about the story of David because we'll be going through 1 Chronicles, which goes through the life of, of David. And we'll actually point out some of the things that 1 Chronicles includes in the story of David, how it's written out. Um, and then there's some things that the writer of of first chronicles leaves out and you know i don't want to give any spoilers but and and the question is well why does the writer not focus on that we'll talk about it when we get to first chronicles uh just because of the idea of when first chronicles was probably written and compared to when second samuel was written so in chapter 23 it's essentially going over the last words of David, his last words that, you know, and we see that he uh, is still focusing on God. His heart is on God, even though he essentially, you know, he had his one moral failing, which was, you know, ha- committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. And we actually see in chapter 23, it talks about David's mighty men who his mighty men were, and Uriah was one of them. And so essentially he he betrayed and murdered one of his own men that was, you know, part of this mighty men. And, uh, and so that's, it's a interesting time and with chapter 23. And then we get to chapter 24. Now 24, when we get to 1 Chronicles, that is one where the writing is a little bit different. Um, and I'll kind of just go ahead and talk about it a little bit. And we'll kind of point it back to it when we get to First Chronicles. In chapter 24, verse 1, it says, you know, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Uh this concerns David's sin in taking a census of the people. Now, they were not to take a census of the people. They did it in, you know, back when they were getting ready to take over the land, but the Lord did not want them to take a census because it was essentially saying, I don't trust you, God, and how many men I have. And, you know, it's stated that God inside of David... Now, in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, it actually says Satan incited David to take a census of Israel. And people go, what? What is going on here? And it took me a while before I figured it out as well, going, wait a minute, the words are different. Why are they different? And we'll talk about it as well when we get into our first Kings, you know, what happens with Ahab uh, when King Ahab you know, dies, what happens is, you know, in times that 
you know, God, and, you know, especially when people are sinning so bad, and I, and I'm not saying David was sinning, uh, at so bad or anything. He, the Lord burned against Israel and it was probably, there was something going on that we don't know. And he let him go. And, and because of that, David was susceptible as well. And, and, and we'll talk about that as well with Ahab, that you can get into sin so much that God goes, okay, Satan, you know, there, you do what you need to do. And, you know, he will use Satan or let people, let them go into their own devices and, but, you know, and as believers too, we are tempted as well. We are not just because we accept Jesus as Lord as our, and as our Lord and Savior as well doesn't, you know, mean that we're exempt from trials and tribulations and being tempted. Now, God doesn't tempt us. Our own evil desires and lust of the flesh and all that, that's what causes us to be tempted. And it's the enemy a lot of times tempting us. And we see that David is tempted as well in this because of his pride and his lack of trust in God. And which is weird because we see over and over in David's life that he was always inquiring to God, you know, instead of relying on his own will. And so, and that's how it ends is this whole, you know, it, it's weird how Samuel, the book of Samuel ends is this little appendix where, you know, David sins by counting the fighting men. And we see that there's this plague that happens um and so we we see this and then we see this where david builds an altar you know after this plague is stopped and we see arona wants to just give him everything not have to pay a price And David won't let that happen. And there's times where we end up, there are times where we end up, you know, just people want to give something to us. And sometimes we don't want to take that gift. And, and, and sometimes God calls us to, to take that Um, and, and, and take that and, and all of that. We should receive gifts as they're given to us, especially when somebody has been feeling it from the Lord to take or give you that and, and give him the glory for it. So that's just something that, that we have to, um, do as well in our, in our relationship with the Lord. So we're going to take a quick break and then uh, jump into the book of First Kings. So we go into the the book of First Kings, and 
there's still a little bit of David left. And we see with David, David was such a great king. David had a heart after after God. But we also noticed, though, that he he had a weakness for women. And he had all these wives and concubines in that time. And because of that, and we also see what happens with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, we see afterwards that, that David had trouble with his sons. You know, in spite of his record as a good ruler, you know, he, he failed greatly as a father. We see the story with, you know, Amnon and, and Tamar and Absalom. And now Adonijah, his son, sets himself up as king. You know, where when Solomon was supposed to be set up as king. And, you know... As a result, you know, David's life, it, it was full of grief and sorrow with his, with his kids. And, you know, because David failed to follow God's will regarding his family, you know, he was experiencing one sorrow after another throughout his life. And, and this really stresses the point about, you know, as believers that, in our lives, we need to strive with all of our hearts to remain faithful to our spouses. And for those that are parents, remaining faithful to, to your kids. And, you know, it it's a huge thing. And sometimes it requires changes. You know, I know some parents, they look at their lives and their jobs and they go, but my kids are growing up and this job is is taking over my life and they make a career change because they're so focused on, I want to make sure I'm there for my kids, you know, or, and, and that's just some, you know, an example of, of one thing that can happen, maybe getting rid of, you know, TV, whatever it needs to be to make sure that you are striving to be a godly spouse and a godly parent, you know, taking your kids to church, taking them to youth group, reading the Bible with them, you know, and, and praying with them and, and having conversations, you know, especially, you know, in this day and age, kids need to know and understand why things are happening the way they are. Because if they don't find out from you, especially from a biblical perspective, they're going to find it from somewhere else that's probably not a godly source. And they're going to, that's where the lie of the enemy is going to start coming in and, and tearing apart families. And that's a huge thing, you know, and even as a spouse, as spouses talking about what is going on and having a biblical perspective about it. And choosing to say, you know, this is what we're going to do, you know, to protect our marriage. I mean, these days, you know, especially when the, the Me Too movement, and even before the Me Too movement was happening, my husband and I had a rule that we would not be with the opposite gender alone. 
But even now, it's it's even to the point, it's like, can't even be with another gender, the same gender, you know, without some kind of accusation rising up. And so it's it's all about, you know, just being careful. And, and that's what we talked about is, you know, how do we handle things and and make sure that, you know, we have a, a good backup source. And so that's just something that we really need to focus on as, as believers is, is that. And, and we learned that from David, sadly, that, you know, he didn't have that, you know, he wasn't a very good father and to his family. And we see this story with Adonijah. He sets himself up and, you know, and that's when Solomon is crowned king. So then David makes Solomon king. And we also see, I want to point out too, we also see with David as he's, he's getting old. Uh, he, he has something that happens where he cannot keep warm even when they put covers on him and we know that he's about to die and so David makes Solomon king which is interesting and and the thing about it is the line of Christ comes through yeah through the the line of Solomon through King David Solomon and even though whatever happened even though God doesn't con- didn't condone what happened with Bathsheba, God can, you know, God still used David, you know, the line of David, even through that family line to to bring our Savior, you know, and even today, you know, there may be times that, you know, God doesn't condone sin, but when we turn to Him. In our in a, and repent, he's going to use that situation for his glory, and and God still, you know, people who are broken, and they come to Jesus, and they've been through, you know, the fire, you know, through drug addiction, alcohol addiction, God still uses those, those kind of people, for for his glory, you know, when. They come to Jesus and they're they're set free, they're delivered, and you know, because they know how to reach to other people that struggle the way they did. You know, they understand it. They understand the struggles of quitting you know, I don't understand the struggles of quitting drugs because I never went through it. I went I was on the other end of having siblings who had drug addictions. And, and seeing what it did to him, how it tore, you know, the family apart. And so for me, it's more, I can relate to people who are struggling with that kind of breakdown and, and being able to pray with them and understand them through their frustrations and all of that compared to somebody else who went through the actual addiction and then Jesus delivers them from that addiction, they, they know how to reach that person that goes through addiction. And so we see that David makes Solomon king. God made Solomon king. And 
Solomon becomes king and we see David's charge to Solomon and it's kind of sad. You know, David had learned, you know, one of the things that David though charges Solomon is to remain faithful to the Lord. And it's because through his painful experience and discipline that he he knew if I remain faithful to God, he's going to get me through this. And and he was concerned, even though he he wasn't, you know, he had this moral failing with his family. He was still concerned that Solomon live for the Lord, obeying the Lord, and and even gave him charge that you need to get this temple built for for the Lord. And so, and so he's really concerned about that. And as, as parents, you know, Christian parents, you should be concerned, you know, making sure your kids follow the Lord. Now, ultimately they have free choice and they're going to end up making that decision. They have to make that decision on their own, but you can be a contributor to that by making sure, you know, to have those conversations with them, to be reading the Bible with them, you know, displaying those Christ-like attitudes, you know, even in your own home, how you treat your own spouse, how you treat people out in public. It's going to speak to your kids. You know, I know like my family, you know, for example, my family growing up it was about work ethic and you know even though you don't agree with your employer and it may be hard sometimes but having this good work ethic no matter what even if it's not fair having a good work ethic and they taught us that to us over and over again to have such a good work ethic and it has helped me in my own career that, yeah, it may be not fair, but I'm going to do what I have to do, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to do what I need to do to get the job done and what I'm supposed to do. And and I know that is a lot of it is the Lord putting integrity in me that I'm going to do this no matter what. And and I I... I work as I'm working on to the Lord and going, you know what, my, my reward is with God, not with man. But we see David make sure that, you know, Solomon knows that you need to follow the Lord. You know, this is conditional. This is conditional. You need to follow the Lord or you're going to lose it. And but another thing that's sad, though, is David, you know, his, it's kind of sad that his final recorded instruction was to do evil that he himself had sworn not to do. And, you know, with Joab and with Shammai, it's, it's sad, but it ends up happening and David ends up passing away. And Solomon's throne is established. We see Adonijah and the end of Adonijah and Joab and even Shemaiah. And, but we see Solomon, the story of Solomon in, in the first, in first Kings. And the thing about Solomon is 
he starts off following the Lord. He has these um, encounters with God. You know, the first encounter is he asks God for, you know, God asks him, what do you want? And he asks for wisdom instead of money and, and all of that. And so God says, you made a wise decision. And then the next day, you know, or right after that, you know, that encounter, there's this this ruling that he has to give between the, these two women who are fighting over a son. And, you know, back then they didn't, you know, like we have today, you know, if somebody's challenging paternity or maternity, you know, of a child, you know, being a parent of a child, you just do a DNA swap. There you go. That's it. But back then they didn't have that. And for him to make a ruling like that, saying, well, split them in half, they're claiming that was such a wise ruling. And I, I, I didn't know if maybe he knew that whoever the real mother was would do that. I don't know. You know, when, the, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and he gives you wisdom, you know, you, you just kind of go off of what, you, you know, the the spirit is, is telling you, and, and a lot of it's just an act of faith at that point, because if he's telling you to say something, to pray something, you know, share something, it's kind of an act of faith of an obedience on your end. And so it's kind of something that we can learn in our, in our own life that as, you know, we make a request to the Lord and he he grants that there's going to be something afterwards that's going to test us in 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 that area and so we see that Solomon is filled with wisdom and and that's where we get the book of proverbs from we have ecclesiastes and ecclesiastes was written i think from what i understand it was written later on in his life probably when he had failed the lord uh, just based on the writing of that. And then he also wrote Son of Sons or Son of Solomon, depending what your Bible says it is, how's it, how it's titled. Um, it's, you know, a, a, a wonderful book in the Bible about love. One, God's love, and, and two, the love between a husband and wife. So, you know, Solomon, you know, is talking about his government and it talks about him building the temple. You know, um, he was the one charged with building the temple. And he ends up building that temple. So, and he also built a palace. Now, one thing you notice, though, is Solomon takes a wife from Egypt. This is where we see things kind of going wrong, is he took a wife from Egypt to make, and we see several of his wives were peace treaty marriages, essentially. They were peace treaty marriages where God had told them, no, told the Israelites they were not to take anybody, any foreigner. And we see that that is going to be his stumbling block is these wives that he took when when God's were you know when God had specifically told them that they were not to 
take foreign wives. And we see that he builds his own palace. He builds a separate place for his wife from, from Egypt because she was not she was not an Israelite, could not be close to that temple based on their, their law. And so he, you know, builds the, the temple. Then there's this dedication and we see that Solomon, he prays this dedication. He starts off that, you know, giving God the glory and the honor and a lot of his prayer is about, you know, if they turn away, but pray towards this temple that God would forgive them. You know, Solomon understood that God would forgive his people if they turned from their sin and sincerely repented in regret to sorrow. Um, he also acknowledged that God might have to discipline them in order that they would fear him. I also noticed this about Solomon that he says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Solomon is praying that everyone would know, not just, you know, the Israelites. This is everyone all around the world that he knows of. He was praying that people would know. And that's an attitude we should develop as believers is that everyone should know the Lord. Because yes, Jesus died for all. He he died and rose from the grave for everyone. You know, we see today that there's this tear placed on people whose lives matter. You know, especially with this black life lives matter movement going on god said all lives matter not just blacks not just asians not just white people all lives matter and we should be praying that everybody knows the lord and it's hard because there are people out there that do really bad things and you go why would god want to love and want somebody like you know, the most vilest person you know, in the world, why would they want that person? You know, why would he want that person in heaven? Christ died for all. And it's our choice to accept his salvation, you know, and, and it's, it's hard. A lot of people, you know, and it's our prayer. And that's why, you know, it's not about, and that's why I tell people too with forgiveness and learning to forgive people is giving them over to the Lord and let the Lord deal with them. You know, if they're going to be unrepentant and continuing to be wicked, the Lord's going to deal with it. It's not up to us to be the judge. And so we should have an attitude that everybody, you know, should you know, know the name of the Lord. And, and and come into a relationship doesn't mean that I'm going to force everybody, you know, to, to bow their knee. No, it's still their choice. I want to share what Christ has done in my life. And if they, you know, don't want, 
they don't want anything to do with God, that's that's their choice, and I'll still pray for them. But we should have that attitude of that. And so we see this with Solomon that he he dedicates the temple, and then the Lord appears to Solomon. And we're going to look at that in in Chronicles as well is when the Lord appears to Solomon because there's a a well known verse in there that especially with what's going on. Uh, a verse that is well prayed these days because of what is going on in our nation and, you know, about repenting and that when we turn from our ways and seek after God, he's going to come and heal our land. And, And I just challenge you to go look it up if you're interested. But God you know, appears to Solomon and, and lets, you know, lets him know the conditions, lets him to know the conditions. And even then it's still conditional that they were to obey the Lord and walk in his ways. So we're into this story of, of Solomon and I'm just kind of picking and choosing. We'll probably go over a little bit more detail as we go in Chronicles and later on in, in the podcast once we do the daily reading deal. We'll probably go through uh, a lot more of this. But we also go... Um, Solomon was well known. And we see this story about the Queen of Sheba. She visits Solomon. And the thing about the Lord really highlighted to me is these days there are people that doubt Christianity. They doubt the the resurrection of Jesus. And I've run across those people. I don't condemn them for questioning. You know, it's their, a lot of time it's the, their personality. They're the type that they, they seek for proof. They seek for evidence. And I use that to they're, you know, to the advantage of saying, well, you have to seek it out. You have to get into the word, read it, study it, study the history books, study other testimonies that, you know, have come in, in this Bible enhances those testimonies. That's what, you know, the, the thing about Sheba, she went, the Queen of Sheba, she went to see if this was true. And, and she does not, it's not disappointing. She's not disappointed what happens. You know, she's like, wow. And so when you come across somebody who does doubt and they ask questions, don't shut them down because that's the way that they're going to find the Lord is through these questions, guide them and direct them to the word guide and direct them to different things, you know, different archaeological discoveries, all of that, historical books that, that correlate with this, they're going to end up going, huh. So, but we see with, with Solomon that he has such wisdom. He writes these Proverbs and we see he has a relationship with the Lord, but then his wives, and trap him. And he ends up failing. 
he ends up turning away from the Lord. And it just shows that as a believer, that we have to be so careful to not take our relationship with God for granted. You know, not to get caught up in our daily lives that we end up putting God to the side. Not to get ourselves so busy that we end up, you know, setting aside our daily reading time and our prayer time just so we can get everything on our task list done. And those things on the on the task list list are, are going to be there tomorrow. You know? And so and being careful in our own relationship with the Lord not to get caught or snagged and in, in things that are gonna entrap us in sins. And we see with Solomon that he ends up being entrapped and essentially you know these enemies begin to rise up and and the Lord punishes and says you know not in your time for the sake of your father David but I'm taking the kingdom away from your son but he will still have one kingdom for the sake of my and we'll see it where he says a lot of times for the sake of of David because of his covenant with David and so that's essentially with Solomon's life is he starts off great and then he he falls. And we just get this little small thing of that he dies. And and his son Rehoboam succeeds him. And so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll we'll kind of talk about uh the rest of the of first Kings. So Solomon's son Rehoboam takes over the throne and we see with Rehoboam that he ends up not listening to his father's advisors, which probably were trained under King Solomon himself. So they were about probably about as wise. And they give this wisdom to him that, you know, be a servant to the people, but he listens to the bad advice. And we see it's a, it is a, 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 a good way for us to know as believers, we better be careful who we listen, whose advice we listen to. Um, being very careful who gives us advice because sometimes they, they may seem like, you know, they're, they're for you or it's godly advice to them. But it's not what God wants, you know. And I, I, I'm very careful too when somebody gives a word of the Lord over my life that I make sure that it correlates with the the word. And to you know, God will confirm that word over and over. And and so, you know, that's just something that I'm very careful with. And so. We see with Rehoboam that this is where the kingdom split. Jeroboam comes in and he takes over Israel, which is the the northern kingdom. And so, and it kings can get very confusing because it's talking both about Israel and it's also talk, which is the northern kingdom. And then there's Judah, which that was where you know Rehoboam was. 
that's where the line of David stayed, the one kingdom that was given. And so they're on the southern end. And so, you know, a good Bible is going to say, you know, Israel, Judah, Israel, Judah, you know, so you can understand the differences. And as we go through, I'll just say which which one it is, because especially if you take a Bible survey class, an Old Testament Bible survey class, they're going to tell you or ask you which king was, were they from Israel or were they from Judah, which one they were. So, and you'll actually see, um, I'm just going to kind of summarize here with the Northern Kingdom. We see, okay, Jeroboam, Jeroboam is given this kingdom by God. But he doesn't trust God. He goes, well, the, the, the kingdom is going to go back to David. So I'm going to try to keep people away from, from Jerusalem. And he ensnares them with idols. And so we see that this, this kingdom is filled with a lot of idolatry. And where, you know, Judah, yeah, you see some kings were not... They didn't follow the Lord, but they do produce some really good, good kings like Jehoshaphat, King Hezekiah uh, are, are examples, which Jehoshaphat is in here or Hezekiah is actually in second Kings that will come across. Uh, I really like the, I really like reading about King Hezekiah, um, just the faith that he had. Um, you know, even when he was sick, the, the boldness in his prayers and all of that. So that will be a fun one to come across. But so the kingdom's divided in Jeroboam and, and snares the people to idolatry with these calves. And there's fighting between Rehoboam and, and King Jeroboam. And because of Jeroboam, uh, this man of God comes. We see the story about the man of God that comes and he, he makes a prophecy. Now notice the name of the person Josiah and take note of that because it's going to come back later. It's going to come back in second Kings. And, uh, but we see this man of God, what ends up happening is he's deceived by another prophet you know another man of god another prophet that you know deceives him into coming into his own house and he ends up dying and that just shows as believers we can when we are told what to do from the lord that we are to follow it to the t and not you know because somebody can come and say oh the lord said this you know and we we can tell with the man of God's story that he should have not, um, he should have tested the, the situation. He should have tested what this man said, um, and go, huh, really? You know, he should have went to the Lord about that. And so, um, we see that. And we also see here when he talks to Jeroboam, we see this, Jeroboam goes to have him seized and his hand is, you know, it shrivels and he can't pull it back. There's these signs and wonders that happen to show that what is going to happen. And then the, the altar breaks as well. 
So what happened, but even then Jeroboam doesn't turn from his ways and, uh, he doesn't turn from his ways, doesn't repent. And we get to, you know, in 14, the, the story where his son, Abijah becomes ill and, you know, Jeroboam sends his wife to go to this prophet to, you know, go and find what's going to happen to the kid. But he tells her to, you know, change clothes. But the Lord ends up telling this, this man of God. And you can disguise, and it, it, as believers, like it really spoke to my heart that as believers, sometimes we cover ourselves up, say everything's good, you know, and then secretly go and, and talk to somebody in private about our deals. Or sometimes that we just cover up our sins thinking God doesn't know. God does know. And we just, we shouldn't hide it or beat around the bush about it, you know. So we see what happens and the prophet is saying, you know, your son's going to die because he's the only one that was seen as righteous because he's, the line of Jeroboam is about to, to end. And we see that happen, that Jeroboam's line is destroyed. There's a lot of uprivals, you know, there's, you know, a lot of rivalry in, in the Northern kingdom and different Kings that are not, you're going to notice that like a lot of them, their kids do not take over the kingdom. It's somebody else that takes over the kingdom. We go into the, in 14 and then see it jumps back and forth. It jumps back and forth. Um, Rehoboam, you know, talks about him being king of Judah and that they did evil in the eyes of, of the Lord. And they end up getting taken over by Shishak, king of Egypt. And they take all the stuff from the temple. And so he puts bronze up there instead. So Rehoboam's life is not well. You know, he doesn't follow the Lord. Uh, his son, Abijah, comes, becomes king of Judah. And it shows that he committed all the sins his fathers had done before him. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. And um, not very much is written about Abijah in, in 1 Kings. Then his son Asa uh, becomes king of Judah. And he's different. He follows the Lord. He even goes up against his own grandmother and says, nope, you were, you know, he, he disposes his grandmother, deposes his grandmother because she, you know, was in idolatry. And he's, he's like, no, we're not having any of this. And sometimes as believers, you know, you gotta, you know, really, if you really love your family, you're going to say when they're not following the Lord, and the Lord tells you, being strong enough to say, no, you are walking in sin. And I know, like, with my parents, they have told me when they became believers and said, no, you're walking in sin or you're not walking in the right way. My grandma was the same way. She would tell us when we're walking in sin. And the way she did it, I would feel conviction. 
And I wasn't a believer then, but I would feel conviction and not want to go down that road. And we'll learn more about Asa. Um, Asa starts out great, but he he ends up not trusting the Lord. And pride ends up coming into his life. And we'll see in, in, in the book of Chronicles what happens to him, sadly, because of of his pride. Then it jumps back to Israel. We have Nadab, who's the king of Israel, does evil in the eyes of the Lord. So Basha, you know, plots against him and kills him. And then there's Basha. And uh, Basha ends up, you know, he's about as evil as well. And we see that. The Lord's like, I'm going to deal with you. So, um, we see there's a lot of kings that go through Israel. There's Elah, the king of Israel. And uh, he becomes king. And he was, you know, king for two years. Then Zimri, you know, kills him. Zimri only lasts seven days, and the the Israelites decide, no, we're we're going to make Omri our king. So they kill Zimri. So then there's Omri, and Omri's evil, and we see, you know, we see the downhill of Israel, the the northern kingdom as sin continues and and we see that when we allow sin into our lives and it continues on in our lives and we don't repent of it we just see the downhill and we see it in in today in the world today especially in the United States how degraded things are getting because we've allowed sin you know to continue on and as believers this is the time where our voices need to be really standing out in this time. Then we we meet Ahab, and a lot of people, when they think of First Kings, they think of the story of Ahab, um, Ahab and Jezebel. They were wicked. Jezebel was about as wicked as Ahab, and a lot of people, and especially if you're brand new believers and you're listening to other Christians, and they refer to, for example, Hillary Clinton, the politician, as Jezebel, having a Jezebel spirit. I agree with a lot of people in regards to Hillary Clinton, but she does have a Jezebel spirit. You read this story. And sadly, when I read this story, I can't help but imagine that is Hillary Clinton in that role because of all the things she has done. And so, um, a Jezebel spirit is essentially, as you read in, in, in First Kings, she was very deceptive. She was very full, full of pride and wicked and violent. Um... And we see Ahab, he kind of, you know, he's wicked, but we see that she's the one kind of ruling. Um, has no respect for her husband. I don't, I, from what I'm seeing, she doesn't have respect for Ahab. She kind of does things her own way and she'll, she'll do it her own way. Even if it means somebody gets killed. We see that with the vineyard. 
And so we see that there's such sin that and we meet the the prophet Elijah at this point and um God tells him you know to to leave because you know there's not going to be dew or rain in the next few years and he's fed by the ravens and we see the story of the the widow at Zarephath uh that you know, is an, a, a wonderful story about the widow that out of faith, you know, and it, you know, when you read about this, you're going, man, Elijah, you're being like a jerk asking for bread and all this, but the Lord will sometimes ask us to do hard things to test what we're going to do, to see if we're going to be obedient and it had to be hard for this widow to bake a cake or bake a, a cake of bread just for Elijah to believe, okay, what he said. And sometimes we're going to have to step out in faith when we, when the circumstances are, you can see that it's against you and that if you do this, there's a possibility, you know, that, for example, not having food. You know, I, my husband has a, a story that when, you know, cause his mom and, and his dad divorced when he was a teenager and it was a really uh, sad situation, um, that it happened and his mom had been a stay at home mom during that time. So she didn't have a job when she got out of the, the situation they had to go to a crisis center and they had just got out of the crisis center. They got into their home, but they, all they had for food was this bunch of bananas and uh, enough stuff to, to make banana bread. And his mom felt the Lord tell her, you're going to go make banana bread for the people that took care of you at the crisis center. And my husband said he remembered her crying as she's making this banana bread because it's the only thing they had left. And she was taking this banana bread to the crisis center. And so they went and took the bread to, to give it to these people at the crisis center. And she was trying to figure out how am I going to get groceries and food for my two boys. And when they got home, there was all these bags of groceries in front of the door of the place that they were living at. And there was so much food that they had, you know, about several weeks of groceries. And he says his, he's like, I just remember my mom was sitting there praising the Lord. And, and for, a, and that's just how my husband is, is he remembers that. And he goes, you know, no matter what we're going through, he always goes back to that memory and goes, God was there. And, and they did find out who it was. It was a, some people from their church that were praying. They had a prayer time and they felt led by the Lord that they were to go grocery shopping for her. They didn't know what she was doing, that she was taking the last of their bananas and whatever they needed, you know, the last of their food to the crisis center people. And he said they had no clue. 
And so he said, that just shows that God knows. And so, you know, that's just something that I just tell people over and over again, that when God tells you to do it, do it, even though you may be going, okay, what if I do this, you're going to have to provide. So we see that with the widow of Zarephath. And, and we see she had food every day when, out, of, out of that obedience. And we see even when her son dies that Elijah prays and the son is raised back to life. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about Elijah and the prophet's Baal. It's actually my favorite part of the story. So we get to 18 and it's the story of Elijah. And we know it as, I know it as Elijah and the prophet's Baal. And Elijah, you know, the Lord tells him, I'm, I'm go to Ahab. I'm going to send rain. And I just love this story because it's so relevant to today because there's a part where he says, How long, Elijah tells the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And I feel like today it is so relevant that we are in such a time that there's so much sin, there's so much evil. And as believers, you know, especially today, we're being called to not waver between two opinions. And I tell this to our youth group all the time. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God is God, then let him be God in your life. And, you know, because here's the thing. You can't serve God and the devil at the same time. And, And we see that there are a lot of... Even a lot of churches these days, a lot of denominations that are saying saying things that God said is not okay in the Bible that are considered abominations and they're saying, oh, they're kosher, it's fine. The Bible's archaic. They're wavering between two opinions. And I think we're in such a time where we have to be like Elijah being firm. And we see this miracle that happens where he... He challenges them that to bring fire on the altar. And it's so interesting, you know, that, um, you know, the prophets of Baal, they do what they can and they're shouting to their God. They're even, it's to the point they're even cutting themselves. And this is something I've told my youth group, youth group kids, you know, because nothing, you know, Whatever they did, no matter what they did, there was just silence. There was no fire on the altar that came. And I tell kids, no alcohol, nor porn magazine, nothing else is going to bring satisfaction in your life. And, you know, no matter what you do, until Jesus becomes more than enough, you're not going to find that healing. You're not going to find, you know, your identity 
You're not going to find that freedom unless Jesus becomes more than enough in your life. And we see with Elijah, and this is interesting because a lot of, and even kids ask me, why did he dunk water on the altar? One thing is, one, yes, it was to, you know, when God, because, you know, if it's wet, you know, if you got wet wood, it's not going to catch on fire. So it was, one, showing that God was the one that set it on fire. And number two, you notice there's a trench. And the trench is full of water as well. And I didn't know this until I was listening to another preacher who had done research on this. It was to show, because what it was back then, is there was actually when things like this would happen with the false gods, um, there would be somebody that would go in that trench underneath the altar and set it on fire from there. And so it was to show that there was nobody in that trench underneath that altar setting it on fire (laughs) because of the water. So I was like, oh, I did not know that. But that's another reason why Um, the stones, you know, represent the tribes. and, And we see when... He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord and his heart was for the people's hearts to turn back to to the Lord. When we are praying for people when we're evangelizing. It's not about condemning. It's about letting the Holy Spirit to convict people's hearts to where they turn back to the Lord. And so that's just something that really stood out to me. And the fire of the Lord comes on. There's these the people like, oh my gosh, they kill the prophets of Baal, Ahab, you know, rain comes down and Ahab takes off and there's this great moment that Elijah has. But it turns quickly. We see Elijah has, he gets scared. His, his faith in the Lord falters because Jezebel turns around and says, I'm going to kill you. And he gets scared and he runs away. And we notice here, one, and and he ends up laying down and he goes to sleep. I like to say when you have, there's, you had a, you know, God moves in such a way. After that move of God, you need to take time to rest. Take time to rest. And that's what happens with Elijah, he ends up resting in this time. And then God ends up providing nourishment. God's going to provide spiritual nourishment after this move because you are going to be tired, spiritually tired. Um, And you can cause yourself to burn out if you don't rest, if you continue forward. And so he ends up traveling and the Lord tells him to where to go. He goes and he's strengthened and he reaches to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
and he goes into a cave and he spends the night. And this is where the Lord appears to Elijah. And I like to say to people, because there's the, you know, his, he, he's freaking out and, you know, he's just like, I'm, I'm the only one left. And the Lord tells him to go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And we see that there's this powerful wind, but the Lord's not on the wind. You know, we see that there's an earthquake and there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But there was this gentle whisper. And sometimes, you know, as we're trying to seek the presence of the Lord, we're trying to see this big, magnificent sign from God. Sometimes God just appears in a gentle whisper in our lives. And when Elijah hears it, you know, he pulled his cloak over his face. And... um because of the holiness of the Lord. And he tells God, you know, I feel like I'm the only one left. And God tells him, no, you're not the only one. And he actually sends him to find Elisha um, to, to, help her, to anoint him in this ministry. And God is going to bring somebody into your life for you to mentor and bring up. And so we see the call of Elisha. And Elisha, you know, he was plowing. And uh, and he ends up making a sacrifice to the Lord. He breaks his yoke. He slaughters the, the oxen. Leaving his own life behind. And that's how it is in our life. Is when we're called by God. We leave everything at the altar of God. Everything that happened in our past because it's a new life. And sometimes we like to stay in our old ways. We like to stay in, in all of that. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to move forward in our relationship with him and leave the past behind. Um, because we have a new life. We have Jesus living in us. So that call, and there's the call of Elisha and then there's Ben-Hadad. He attacks Samaria and we see God still delivers the people of Israel from Ben-Hadad. But Ahab doesn't, he pulls a Saul and doesn't kill Ben-Hadad. And um, this prophet says, you know, his it's your life for his life, your people for his people. And instead of repenting, Ahab um, essentially, Ahab, you know, goes away sullen and angry. And then we have the story of Naboth's vineyard where Je- Jezebel, you know, they were lusting after Naboth's vineyard that they... They slandered him to get what they want. And we see that today. That people will slander other people to get what they want. And it's sad. And we see that, you know, that Elijah comes and he tells him that, you know, 
that he says, you know, I'm going to make your house. The Lord's going to make your house like that of Jeroboam and Basha. Because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. And then in regards to Jezebel, it says dogs are going to devour Jezebel by the wall of uh, Jezreel. Now with this, Ahab tears his clothes and he humbles himself. And so, you know, the Lord says, you know, I'm not going to bring it on his house in the days of his, but in the days of his son. And we'll see it, what happens to Jezebel in 2 Kings. But 1 Kings ends with what happens to um, Ahab, the death of Ahab. And as I was talking before, um, now Jehoshaphat was um, the son of Asa. He was he followed in the ways of, of the Lord. And and I like to say this, um, Jehoshaphat was, you know, a godly man. He just not was not very bright in picking friends, very good friends. He made a treaty with Ahab by marrying a, a daughter of Ahab. And um, we see this happen. And we're actually going to read... I believe in Chronicles, if I remember right, where Jehoshaphat actually does get scolded by the Lord for for this little thing that happens. But Jehoshaphat, you know, he's sitting there going, you know, Ahab's like, what's, you know, will you go with me to fight against Ramah or Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat, his attitude is, well, we need to go and seek favor from God. He was doing the right thing saying we need to go seek favor from God. And there's all these prophets they are saying, oh, yeah, go and do it. And he doesn't feel right about it. He's like, isn't there a prophet of the Lord? And there's Micaiah. And Ahab doesn't like it because doesn't like Micaiah because he's like, he never prophesies anything good about me. And it's sadly today, you know, if you don't prophesy anything good, that's, you know, good to the ears of people, people get mad at you because we're in a time and I'll point it out um, when we get into the New Testament, uh, when we get to, to the book of Timothy, it's, you know, people are, are having itching ears for what they want to hear. And that's how Ahab was. He was in, steeped in sin and he only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. And we see this vision that Micaiah has about this lying spirit that um, what it was is that it could be understood as one of Satan's agents. And it was, you know, God had let Ahab go, you know, and because of his sin and their hearts were hardened against the truth uh, that God finally gave them over to a lie as the due penalty for their sin. And we see that happen where Ahab ends up dying. Um, and Jehoshaphat, it ends up about talking about Jehoshaphat that he seeks after the Lord. And then there's Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, um, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we'll actually go more into that story when we get into second Kings. And so that is it for the reading that we got all caught up with. 
So for the next Friday podcast, we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 1 and we're going to go through chapter 16. And so feel free to break it up however you want. Uh, Just stay tuned for Psalms and Proverbs podcasts and later on on the book of John. And so I'm going to end in a prayer and just say thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, God. And that, Lord, we just give you the glory and the honor, Lord, for all that you're doing and continue to do in our lives. Lord, I just pray that you just speak to our hearts as we uh, go through this life, Lord. And as we continue to read, Lord, just bring more revelation into our lives. And Lord, that we would just seek after you and when your Holy Spirit speaks to us and convicts of, convicts us of things in our lives, Lord, that we would turn and repent and seek after you, Lord. Lord, help us to walk in truth and to speak the truth, to stand for, for who you are, God. And we just thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do in Jesus' name.